0: Well, if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 24, and we begin this Sunday uh, answering the question of why do we worship the way that we do? What is a covenanted or covenantal renewal worship service? Um, Where do we get that from? Why do we participate in worship the way that we do? And so we'll begin uh, our studies on this from God's Word, looking at Exodus 24. So I'll read the entire chapter. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abinhu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but others shall, come, shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all that rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then Moses, and Aaron, Nadab, and Abinhu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement, of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. <clears throat> Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses, out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. Well, as we begin this morning, and as we sort of reflect on the readings that we have had, I, I do like simplifying things, but sometimes you you cannot always simplify things and then keep all the meaning. But if we were to understand what it means for God God to covenant with His people, it is a way of providing life for them. In the Garden of Eden, God makes everything, and then He enters into covenant and giving the people breath is giving them life. And so God is the giver of all things. He is the giver of peace, he is the giver of life. And so as we think about what it means to participate in a service of covenantal renewal, we are acknowledging that our life, the source of our life is God himself. And so I want to address over the next few weeks that now that we have life, that we are truly alive in Christ Jesus, what it means to worship God the way that we do. And therefore, we have to cover a number of issues, uh, some which are easier to cover than others, and perhaps most importantly, the word do is the first one that needs to be covered. Why do we worship God the way that we do? Well, I want to start out by saying that worship is not something that you do. Worship is a way of life. Worship is not something you come on a, to do on a Sunday morning. Worship is the way of life that you are to participate in throughout the week. And therefore, there's a, this is really quite important because we don't want to reduce worship simply to what we do here. Though this here, this act of covenantal renewal worship, means that we can participate in things today with each other that we cannot participate in throughout the rest of the week without each other. And therefore, this is set aside as a day in which we can worship the Lord together and participate in eating the bread and drinking the cup and listening to the word and hearing the word and confessing our sins. All of this is necessary for a couple of reasons. And that is because worship engages what we call the social arrangements of life. So, worship is a way of life that engages all social arrangements. Now, out of everything I say over the next several weeks, these are going to be the two most important things, that worship is a way of life that engages all social arrangements within life. And so, we must not limit worship to what we do on a Sunday, And one example of this would be the book of Amos, and I'm going to paraphrase if I can, just to give you the idea of how God uh, expects worship to happen. And in the book of Amos, I'm paraphrasing, people turn up to church on Sunday to pray and to praise and to engage in worship, but God puts His hands over His ears. He does not want to hear His people. And the reason he doesn't want to hear his people on the Sunday is because of how they have lived throughout the week. So God doesn't just pay attention to us here, he pays attention to us throughout the whole week. And so we go out into a week out of the strength of a Sunday, and in that week we come back into the next Sunday to begin a brand new week. And so worship is a way of life that God pays attention to, and in the book of Amos, he pays such close attention that when we actually come to praise God and we have not lived the way that we ought to have, he puts his hands over his ears and he does not listen to us. We have similar warnings in the New Testament of a man whose prayers are not heard because of the way that he treats his wife. Go read the New Testament. So, worship is a way of life. And therefore, when we participate in worship as a way of life properly, our worship on the Lord's day, the day where we all days are His, I know. But when we participate in worship on this day, in the things that we do, God is paying attention in a very different way. His presence is different, especially as we come to the Lord's table. So why do we worship God the way that we do? Well, we do As I said, because it is a way of life, it is not simply an activity for a Sunday morning. And so building on the work of Augustine and others, a good reading of scripture will allow you to understand this one thing, which is this, that wherever false worship exists, wherever false worship exists, that is either not worshiping the triune God properly, think of the golden calf, Okay, the golden calf, those people who created the golden calf did not think that the golden calf was the God that brought them out of Egypt. Rather they were trying to worship the triune God through the golden calf and it was a false worship because <laughs> the commandment is you're not allowed to make for yourself any of these images or idols or statues or, or anything. And so the false worship was trying to worship the triune God in false ways and God doesn't pay attention to that. Then there is, of course, idolatrous worship, that is, worshipping the man-made gods, the imaginations of man in other nations. And when either of these two happen, the next thing to happen is that there are de-arrangements in the social order. The social social arrangements of life are cluttered and disorganized. And so what you begin to see happening Throughout the whole of Scripture, is that whenever God's people do not worship God properly, the social arrangements of their lives break down in their marriages, in their communities, in the nations and with other nations. And we see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think, for instance, of all the New Testament, all the New Testament and Old Testament examples where idolatry blinds people and leads people astray. And so idolatry can come in two forms, either worshipping the true God falsely, in false ways like the golden calf, or worshipping gods that are not gods, false gods. And so where does this lead people? Well, it leads them to false social arrangements. And so I just want you to think about this as you go through the Old Testament, Look at Solomon and his his multiplicity of wives. Well, that's a false social arrangement. Uh, Look at David and and his many wives, although David doesn't have much attention drawn to him other than when Nathan gives him the parable about a man with many sheep and then taking Mm -hmm. another man's sheep. Well, the real sin is you've got many sheep. If sheep are wives, then you've got many wives as well. Again, false social arrangements. Think of the nation of Israel. Why do they desire so much to be like the nations around them? Why are they fighting so much within themselves? Well, again, if you're not worshiping God properly, the social arrangements break down. And in fact, if you were to read either side of Exodus 24, it is surrounded by commandments on how to live, how to live with God and how to live with each other, how to participate in this law and that law, why? Because if you're not worshipping God properly, the first thing to break down is the social arrangements. In fact, I think we have reached the peak of a breakdown in social arrangements, and it's called social media. Social media is the very pinnacle of the breakdown of social arrangements. Because people become like what they love, because people become like what they worship, because people become like what they desire, when you have platforms where people are competing with one another, and therefore people are becoming like one another on these social media platforms, you begin to see the breakdown because nobody is worshiping God as they ought to. But that doesn't mean that social media is bad because it doesn't mean that Twitter is bad or Facebook is bad, I had to look these up by the way, or Instagram is bad or how many other platforms that there are that you can be on. And the interesting thing about this is that I'm not actually jealous of Twitter. I'm not jealous of Instagram, I'm not jealous of Facebook and neither are you. But the moment another person turns up on the platform, jealousy begins, why? because there is a breakdown in social arrangements. Jealousy is social disorder. It is when you have a group of people together who are not worshipping God properly, and so the social arrangement between those people break down so far that they're then jealous of one another. And jealousy becomes the motivator to outperform your neighbor to do better than them. It becomes the sort of atheistic motivator for progression. Well, it is not at all, because it basically divides the life of of giving and receiving. Everything now is about acquiring an achievement rather than giving um, giving and receiving, it is rather about achieving. With that, there is a breakdown in the social arrangement caused by idolatry. And so I've noticed in myself, and you probably have as well, that not a single person is ever jealous of a log cabin by the lake surrounded by trees. I'm not jealous of big trucks. I'm not jealous of big houses. I'm not jealous of big gardens. And I'm not jealous of surfboards. But the moment one of my friends has one of those, and I don't, suddenly my heart begins to change. Why? Because if I'm not worshiping God properly, then there's a breakdown in the social arrangement between me and my neighbor. And while I was never jealous of that truck while he didn't have it, the moment he has it, I'm now jealous, right? Because I'm not worshiping God properly. So you cannot get away from this relationship between the true worship of God and the social arrangements that come from worshiping God properly. And wherever there is false worship, there is a breakdown in the social arrangements. I am then molded by the people around me rather than the God whose image I am created in. And you can see that over and over and over again. And so the reason we participate in covenantal worship is because we are reminding ourselves of whose image we are created in, of who it is that we are to focus on in thought, word, and deed, with all our strength, all our mind, all our heart. Because if we do not, we become like the people around us. And that is a breakdown in the social condition, the social arrangements of what it means to truly love your neighbor. And so we worship the way that we do because God has told us to do it this way. And so if you thought that the worship of God is simply God sitting there wanting to receive from you everything that is due to his holy name, that is most certainly true. That God is there and God does deserve to be worshiped. But I want you to understand that within that relationship, God has created worship because without proper worship, people do not become what they are meant to be. So, worshiping God properly means that God God receives what he deserves, but also you become the image that you're actually made in, without which you do not become. And so, covenantal renewal worship is a reminder that we are made in the image of God and we are becoming like him. We are, as Peter says, partakers of the divine nature. Now, why is this important? Well, I want to stretch the application just before we get into the text slightly further. I want you to imagine that you have children that are no longer in this church. And for some of you, that is true. They are elsewhere. Perhaps they're at college elsewhere in Minnesota and go to a different church on a Sunday morning. Perhaps they're in a different state. The real issue is not what state they're in. Uh, That is, American states, not their conditional state. That does matter. It doesn't matter what college they're at. It doesn't even matter what they are studying. The one thing that matters more than anything else is whether or not they are engaging in covenantal renewal worship. Why? Because if they aren't, then they are not being shaped properly. The most important thing when it comes to social arrangements and me being the person that God wants me to be is whether or not I am worshipping God according to his word, whether or not my life is being regulated by his word. So the first thing that if you've got children that are going to be going off to colleges and you need to go and check out those churches, you need to make sure that those churches are worshipping God properly because if they are not, then your children will not be coming what they are meant to be. That is how central the worship of God is to the arrangement of God's people. That's how strict we must consider these things. And so notice then that, just briefly if you can, that chapter 24, where it speaks of the first covenanted relationship in terms of what it looks like going forward is surrounded by chapters, beginning in chapter 20 and specifically, that speaks about the commandments of God. The first four concentrating on your relationship with God, and the next six concentrating on your relationship with your neighbor. Then look elsewhere. You'll see laws upon laws that speak to the social arrangements of God's people. And what you find at the very center of it is that when God's people worship God properly, honestly, faithfully the social arrangements are what they are meant to be but the moment they are not the moment you no longer say i will do everything that is written in your word and you believe the word of the lie then the social arrangement breaks down have you ever noticed that god created adam and eve in the garden together but the moment they sin they hid separately they just go off on their own each to their own there's a breakdown in the social arrangement. So the issue is, is none of these social media platforms, for instance, are bad. None of these social arrangements are bad, but they become toxic the moment God is not worshipped in spirit and in truth. They cannot mediate what has to be mediated. And so let's look at chapter 24. You'll notice in chapter 24, that one of the main parts of participating in any form of relationship with God is that God has to covenant with us. And we, in order to establish that covenant, have to demonstrate obedience. We have to say, as the people do here, that we will obey the word of the Lord. Secondly, when God says how he wants to be worshiped, it is important that you understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, while our worship looks different in Christ Jesus, only slightly different compared to the Old Testament pattern, only ever so slightly different, the pattern is the same because God is not worshipped uh, differently in a 21st century than he was in the first century. And the reason he isn't is because it's the same God. And so those who make the argument that we should do it differently because we are now perhaps more advanced or or perhaps because it's the 21st century or this, that, or any other reason. You need to bear in mind that God has not changed. And so if God has not changed, why are you deciding that he ought to be worshipped differently in a different time zone, in a different period of time? It doesn't make any sense. But this is what tends to happen. We tend to bring God with us rather than recognizing that the covenant is us being brought to God. So those of us who don't know why we worship God the way that we do is probably because you haven't actually read it in the Word of God. You probably haven't understood that the reason why we participate in the things that we do is because they have been instructed for us in God's Word. We're not having to make anything up. We're simply needing to follow the pattern that God has laid down before us. And so what you'll notice um, throughout Exodus 24 is that there are sort of like four main parts. That firstly, that God, uh, God is to be worshiped and the people get to enjoy the benefits of being in a covenanted relationship with God. That is, God is providing them a way of life with Him. This is what God is doing. He is providing a way of life with Him. Then you'll notice in verses 3 and 4, sorry, verses 3 and 7, that the people of God have to obey the Word of God in order for the covenant to be established. There has to be an agreement. God says, I am covenanting myself with you, these, these, this is my word, and the people respond, we will do everything that your word commands. Now, I'm not entirely sure how much confidence Moses could have in the people of God up to this point when it comes to doing the word of God because they've proven over and over again that they don't actually listen or do the word of God that well. But in order for this covenant to be established, God speaks... And the response is, we will do, we will obey. Then you'll notice in verses four to six that we have the blood of the covenant. In order for the covenant to be established, that is a covenant of peace, an obstacle has to be overcome. And the obstacle is this, that how does the trying God who is holy approach sinful man? How do you overcome that obstacle? How can you have a covenantal relationship with God, a relationship with God of fellowship, when God is holy and you are sinful? Well, there is an obstacle to overcome, and this is what the covenant explains well. The way that you overcome that obstacle is by dealing with what separates God from man, man from God. And so then we have the shedding of the blood We have the peace offering, of course. And then to conclude the covenant in verse 11, you have the fellowship meal or the eating and the drinking. And this is another way of just establishing amongst the people that we are a covenant community, that we are sharing fellowship with each other. We are participating in a meal to demonstrate uh, to each other that God has covenanted with us. And we will therefore now participate as a way of life in covenanted renewal worship. It involves the gathering of God's people. It involves the word of God. It involves, excuse me, the peace offering and the blood sacrifice. And of course, it concludes with a meal. And what are we doing here this morning? Well, we're doing exactly the same. We are gathering around. We are listening to the word of God. We are participating in the Word of God, we are praying, we are confessing our sins, we are acknowledging the death of Christ, we are participating in the meal, we are copying what the Scripture has laid out for us. So why do we worship the way that we do, simply put? Because this is the way God has told us to do it. Imagine for a moment a young boy with his father, and his father just says, Dad, can you explain to me why sort of… Every year we take a, you know, a lamb without spot or blemish. You know, why do we go and sacrifice these animals? You know, why, why do we do this? And the father says, well, this is how we establish our relationship with God. This is how it's maintained. God is holy. We are sinful. And the father explains that the sacrifice offering overcomes all the obstacles so that you can have relationship with God. And as he explains it beautifully and wonderfully on the walk back home, the son then turns to the father and says, but why? But why? At some point, the father simply has to turn to his son and say, because God said so. And it really is that simple. Why do we worship God the way that we do? Because God said so. So there is no list of explanations it can bypass God speaking and our obedience, rightful obedience to say, this is what God has said, we will do everything that is written in his word. And so in verses three to seven, where you have the word of God being spoken and the people responding, we will obey. And then you have the book of the covenant in chapter seven and the people saying, we will obey we are to recognize that without the pledge of obedience on the people's behalf, no covenant can be made. The people must obey the Lord their God. Now, in Christ Jesus, this looks a little different because Christ is the one who fulfills the law and obeys perfectly where man cannot. But we're not there yet. We're here at the very foundations of what it looks like to enter into a covenantal relationship with God. Now, the next thing we recognize is this, that no ignorance or suppression of truth can ignore the covenantal reality. And what I mean is this. You imagine a young boy or a young girl who has no idea what gravity is or why it exists and then begins to jump off a very tall building or begins to jump off a very high wall or a cliff, whatever it may be, should their ignorance bypass the fall? Should they escape the danger of the falling and then the hard hit at the bottom? No. But how often people believe that if I don't know, I therefore can escape the reality. And that's just not true. One of the reasons why God explains the covenant in the way that he does is because he does not want his people to be ignorant of the realities which shape their lives, just how dangerous sin is, just how corrupting idolatry is. As Jonah said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. To cling to an idol is the equivalent of committing suicide. That is how serious idolatry is. And so God is laying out his covenant because he doesn't want you to experience the reality in ignorance, because ignorance is no excuse for the reality. And neither is the suppression of truth. Some people can know the truth, then suppress the truth, and then think they can avoid the reality. But that cannot happen either. And so the reason why God is so detailed is because he does not want us to face the realities, the hard realities, um, in ignorance. And so that our life with God would be full of blessing rather than the hard falls. God is the first one to put the fence at the top of the cliff to protect you from the ambulance at the bottom. This is what the covenant does. It is a covenant of blessing and safety. And so we must never forget that there are hindrances, not only dangers, but there are hindrances um, that we must overcome in order for us to have a relationship with God. That is a covenanted relationship with God. And that is sin separates. And therefore sin must be dealt with if you are to be brought close to God. And so God is showing us again with the blood sacrifice and the peace offering, that He is the one who institutes and provides the way of overcoming the obstacles that stop you from drawing close to God. In fact, biblically speaking, there are two obstacles that have to be overcome. God cannot get close to you because he is holy and you are sinful, and you cannot get close to God because you are sinful and he is holy. How does a holy God approach a sinful man? Now, in Christ Jesus, both of these obstacles are overcome perfectly. And what we have here in Exodus 24 is sort of the foreground of what is eventually fulfilled in Christ Jesus, that God is laying the foundation, showing us that these obstacles to relationship must be overcome in order for the relationship to continue. So we get back to this idea of true worship, arranging relationships properly, whereas false worship is the breakdown in all social arrangements. You cannot get away from this basic principle. And so only the blood of Christ, as we recognize this morning will do, uh, can cleanse us internally. Up to the point of Christ, the blood that is sprinkled, the blood that is shed, can only ever foreshadow what will be true in Christ. It can deal with the outward, but it cannot deal with the inward man. And so it is not that God has instituted something just to pass the time, but it is to show us that what is really needed can only be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the confession of sin here is not mentioned, and we have confessed our sins this morning, by implication it is mentioned, because there would be no need to shed blood if you were not sinful. And therefore, by implication, God is dealing with the sinful people in the shedding of the blood. And so, therefore, we have also, by implication, the confessing of sin. The blood is put on the altar, and then it is put on the people as the sort of picture of what it means to be covered in the blood, that is, to enter into the covenant. Well, just one final thing then before the exhortation, and it is this. That covenantal renewal worship begins, firstly, with a covenant. You cannot renew a covenant unless you have a covenant. And the covenant is where God is providing for you a way of living. That God is providing for you a way of life with him, both now and forevermore. And the reason we participate in covenant renewal worship, as we do here each Sunday, is because we recognize that we are made in the image of God and that when we worship God in spirit and in truth, we are then becoming like what we are, more like what we are in Christ Jesus. But the moment we move away from worshiping God as he has instructed, then there's a breakdown in who we become and the social arrangements within the church. It is almost impossible to live obediently to God's word in a community of people that don't live obediently to God's word. You cannot do this on your own. It's so very difficult, because we want to believe I can be obedient, and my obedience and my way of life can can be faithful towards God and be unaffected by the people around me. It, It really cannot. And hence why we get caught up in things that we don't want to participate in. But we do, because we live in a world that is corrupt. And so we live within this tension, but as Christians, we have now been separated. We now participate in a way of worship that recognizes that God is the only one deserving of worship and praise. There is no room for idolatry in the life of the Christian. We are not to cling to anything else or trust in anything else other than what God has set forth. And so the covenant is then confirmed. That while all of this is true, it must be confirmed. And the way it is confirmed, it is by eating and drinking with one another. And this is just one example. You can, you can go back to, you know, <clears throat> uh, Abraham taking communion and they finish with a meal. And throughout the, the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New, the idea of confirming the covenant and relationship with the meal is found from beginning to end. And so the meal is best seen in the new covenant. It is best seen in what we participate in each and every Sunday. It's not the meal out there. That's in addition to what we enjoy in here. This meal is the meal that confirms that we are a covenanted people with God. This is the meal that teaches us and reminds us that we have peace with God. This is the meal that teaches us and shows us that we can never be separated from Christ Jesus, from God in Christ Jesus, never. This is the covenanted meal in Christ's blood that we are reminded of. And so remember as we conclude that there is a pattern to worship, and that pattern is set forth in God's word, and we call it covenantal renewal. We do it the way that we do, As you can see because it is based in the word of god strictly speaking you have Mm. the people gathering you have the word of god you have the shed blood and you have the meal and with the shed blood you have the confession of sin and you also have by their obedience what they believe which is their creeds and confessions it's all there and as you will see as we go throughout it all needs to be there because without it we will become like the people around us we like Israel, will want to be like the nations around us. Without worshipping God properly, that is the danger that we are in. And so just go back, if you want, to the Ten Commandments and see for yourselves that a, whenever there is a breakdown in your relationship with God, it will naturally overflow into the breakdown of every other social arrangement. Every other. You cannot avoid it. And so some people who decide to worship God in a very normative way are in perilous times. By normative, I mean this, that there are some Christians who have decided to read the Bible normatively. And what they mean by that is, or what is meant by that, is that if the Bible doesn't mention anything, say, for instance, like gambling, if the Bible doesn't say anything about gambling, if the Word of God doesn't permit me from gambling, therefore I'm allowed to. Well, one—if you read enough uh, if you read enough scripture, you'll be able to see there's actually quite a lot uh, that the Bible says about gambling, such as not winning the not winning at the expense of somebody else losing. Okay, but more importantly, imagine a person who decides, "Well, I can do this because the Bible says I, because the Bible says I don't, because um, the Bible doesn't say I can't." Imagine a worship service built around the normative principle. We can do this because the Bible doesn't say we can't. What would a worship service look like then? Well, notice it would no longer be based on God's word, but rather based on what God's word hasn't said. For what we are participating in here this morning is a pattern that follows scripture. That's the main difference. And so for Christians who want to live a very normative way, that is, I can do all the things the Bible hasn't mentioned, are in are on a slippery slope, a very slippery slope. And so the reason why we worship God the way that we do is because we do not want your foot to slip. We do not want you to slip. And so let me exhort you with this final thing, that when a church follows an order of worship laid out in scripture, we will not fall. But the moment a church follows an order of worship that is not laid out in scripture, It cannot fulfill what worship can only fulfill. And what I mean by this is this. That when you get the worship of God wrong, you no longer become like the people of God. That is how serious it is. Because worship is a way of life. It is not just something you do. It is how you live. And so remember this. That God in Amos doesn't listen to his people on the Lord's Day because of how they have lived throughout the week. And it is this day that is to shape every other day that comes after it. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, we ask of you this morning, having doubt with quite a, um, <clears throat> quite a meaty Old Testament text, though more could be said, we recognize that the very structure of how you are to be worshipped is so clearly and plainly taught in your word. And we pray, Father God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see how you have instructed us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.